uh, so we, we, we get everything checked out. We checked out a plane, very weird for me, not for him. And we pull it out of the hangar by hand, also weird. Did you guys know planes weigh like nothing? And so we pull it out of the, uh, out of the whatever you call that thing, hangar. Okay, again, I'm, look, I'm ignorant. All right, I know a few things. But uh, so we pull it out. And what's the first thing you do before you fly when you get a plane? You check the plane, right? Which I was very thankful for, felt wise. And so Kyle, he walks around this plane, takes about a good 20 minutes, walks around, checks things, right? Checks numbers, fills stuff out, makes some calls. And then we get in this plane. Really cool. Uh, I got to take off, all right? About the coolest, most exciting thing I've ever done in my life. I, I was actually in the air, I was thinking, I was like, man, what kind of Psalms would David have written if he could have flown? <laughs> like, you, you think the stars look good, bro. Try it at 30,000 feet. So, um, so we took off, we flew, I got to fly through the canyon. It's surprising, it's scary how easy it is to fly. And so we flew through the canyon, we came around, we flew over some of y'all's houses, all right, make you nervous. And we stalled out over somebody's house. Uh, and then I started getting nauseous, and I said, we need to go home. And so we started to go, and, and Kyle's like, hey, would you like to land? And I said, no, I would not. I would, I would like you to land this plane. So he landed the plane. And listen, we left Granny's at 930. I was at the office at 1045. Like, I can get into that, man. That is an amazing hobby. And so I'm telling you guys that because today, that's how we're going to break it down. We're going to look at this passage in three different points, okay? First, we're going to just expose the, pa the passage, all right? Exposit is a way that some people say it. And basically what we're going to do is we're just going to look at the plane. We're going to look at the passage. We're going to see what it has to say. Then after that, we're going to fly it. And I want to fly you over a couple of things, okay? Particularly the book of Genesis and the book of Deuteronomy, all right? Two places where we're going to see a comparison between the plane we're flying in and what was happening in Genesis and Deuteronomy. And it's astounding. I can't wait to show you. And the last thing to do is going to land it. And we're going to land it in your runway, okay? So what does this have to do with us? What, is, what does Matthew 4, 1 through 11 have to do with any of us? Anybody interested? Okay, because this is a weird hobby. If you show up and you like to listen to me talk, there's better things you could do with your life. So let's figure out what the passage has to say for you. That's why we're actually here. So let's look at this, all right? So let's look at Matthew chapter 4. Look at verses 1 and 2. Let's just expose. Let's just look at what the plan has for us. This passage it says, Then Jesus, led up by the Spirit into the wilderness, which is the Judean wilderness, to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Right? Okay. So let me tell you, the importance of this passage cannot be understated. Within these two verses, there is incredible theology, and I want to show you some of it. Some of the theology around the deity and humanity of Jesus, so important, all right? The work of the Spirit in Jesus' life and in yours, and the way of Satan. We're going to learn a lot just from two verses, okay? So let's start with the deity of Jesus. You know what deity means? The godliness of Jesus, okay? And so elsewhere, Matthew calls Jesus the Christ. Anybody remember what I told you Christ means? Shout it out if you know anointed one, right? Call him the anointed one. Christ, Jesus means what? The Lord, the Lord saves. Christ is the anointed one. He's the anointed one to save, okay? And what this means is when they call him the Christ, they're calling him the Messiah, all right? It is God with us. You remember that, talking about that? 
So Jesus is unequivocally God. If you go to John chapter 1, and if you go to Colossians chapter 1, write that down. All right, we're not going to do it today. But John 1, Colossians 1, two great places. I'd invite you to go do more study. I'm not going to go there with you, but that's where you could see the divinity of Jesus, that Jesus is God, all right? Now, for us, the divinity of God, the godliness of Jesus is not something that's controversial, right? Do we believe that Jesus is God? Anybody? Yeah, come on, let's go. But here's what I would say. The humanity of Jesus is really tough for us to wrap our brains around. Now, this is opposite of the early church. Listen, the early church, the big fight was over the divinity of Jesus. Is he fully God and fully man? They knew he was a man, but how can he also be fully God, all right? So this taps into a theology that we call the hypostatic union. Give that a shot. Hypostatic union, all right? Or hypostatic union, I don't know. Either one, sounds great. As long as you know what it is. So what is the uh, hypostatic or hypostatic union? Well, it's the belief that Jesus was both fully God and fully man. Anybody's brain just like tearing a little bit? He's fully God and he's fully man. And in this belief, Jesus, uh, while being fully man, he chose to limit himself of his divine power, his omniscience, omnipresence, right? Uh, omnipotence, which means all power, all knowing, all, you know, in, at, in all places. He limited himself to human form, but he's still fully God and he's still fully man. Okay? Now, why does God do that? Why is Jesus fully God, fully man? Why does Jesus limit himself? Well, there's a lot of fantastic reasons you should go look up. But one great one is so that he could sympathize with what it's like to be you. Okay? He knows exactly what it's like to be you. Friends, listen to me. Jesus is not just the Jesus, not just God, who is out there in the cosmic heavens, sitting on a throne, away. He is a real man who sat and ate bread, who got hungry. And that's the beauty of this passage, is in this passage, we see that he fasts for 40 days. Anybody ever fasted for a day, right? You almost lost your mind. Your marriage was almost ruined by this, right? Okay, your roommates almost kicked you out because of your fasting. 40 days and 40 nights. And then it just says like this most obvious statement, then he was hungry. And anybody when you either like, well, no, duh. <laughs> so when he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights, this is where we get into some other theology. I think it's just incredible. The second thing you need to see in this is that the Spirit of God led the Son of God out into that painful experience. I want you to think about this. Jesus' ministry is a Spirit-led ministry, just like your ministry should be a Spirit-led ministry. If you heard last week, Matt Scott took us through uh, Matthew chapter 3, and in it we saw a really amazing thing at the baptism of Jesus. Was anybody here for that? It was great. It was a little long, but it was good, right? No, no offense, man. Just giving a hard time. <laughs> like, who am I to talk, right? Like, buckle up. This is going to be the best 90 minutes of your life. Um, so what do we see at the baptism of Jesus? What happens right as he comes out of the water? Somebody tell us. Come on. You see the Spirit? Listen. Did they hear the Spirit descend? 
right? Did they imagine that this spirit descended? What did they do? They saw the spirit like a dove descend on Jesus. Here's something you need to know. That is not common, okay? But also, you need to know that when the Spirit of God manifests in a way that is visible, it is for you. It's not for God. It's for you. It's trying to show you something that is actually happening and giving you a chance to perceive and embrace the reality that Jesus' ministry is a Spirit-led, Spirit-filled ministry. All right? It's so important when one day in the next 20 years we teach through Acts chapter 2. Okay? All right. Let's keep going. We're, fly- we're, we're still looking at the plane. It's a good-looking plane, man. All right? Now, it reveals to us as a spirit-led ministry. Now, the spirit's leading of Jesus is incredible because the spirit doesn't lead Jesus into just like this super hip, skinny jean wearing, lights and fog machine, like comfortable, rolls up in a suburban, gets out, teaches, gets back in the suburban, drives back to his, you know, mansion of a pastoral house. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody seen this? Okay, it ain't my life. My truck's out there broken, all right? So, so what does that spirit do? That spirit leads him, listen, guys, immediately into the second most painful experience of his earthly ministry. To go into fast, and listen, to the point of starvation. It, it drives him in there. And then it also drives him right before Satan. Okay? It is really hard to understand why God the Spirit chose to lead Jesus, the God the Son, immediately into the confrontation with Satan. Is that weird? Like, really think about that. That's the first thing he does. Now, I don't want to spend too much time on it because uh, who am I to know the mind of God? Okay, but I want to help you understand who Satan is according to Paul in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2 and 3. It says that he is, listen, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now and is still now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once walked in the passions of our flesh. C.S. Lewis once said, if you don't believe Satan exists, then he's already won. Satan is real. And, he is, and Jesus is led immediately into him. Now, here's the thing you need to understand, guys, about this world. You're inside of a church building. It can be, it's like weird what this building does to us. It makes us like forget that there's this real world outside of here. And uh, I want to tell you, the real world is owned by God. This, God. this world really is God's. Do you know that? He is the maker of heaven and earth. You only exist because he said so. But make no mistake that this is, Satan sees this world as his own. He sees you as his own. And he has authority and power and dominion. Now God's allowing that to happen. But we free-willed people have chosen to abandon the oversight and authority and dominion of the Lord to embrace. Listen to me, this is gonna, maybe this is going to sound weird to you, right? You're like, of course, and we're in a Baptist church, you're going to say this. Here's the truth. You are a son and daughter of Satan. Now, some red devil, forked tongue guy, he was an angel of light, fallen from heaven, who rebelled against God, 
And he's got power and influence, incredible influence in this world. And many of you do not know that you follow him more than you follow Jesus. And so when he comes in here, do you think Satan is down with the Son of God walking into his turf? And look what the Spirit of God does. This is what I love about our God. Our God does not wait for a fight. He walks straight into a fight. He says, all right, come on. I will stand toe-to-toe with you right now. And he leads Jesus straight into it. And Jesus does work. All right, let's look at it. Verses 3 and 4. And the tempter came. Look what he calls him, Satan. He calls him the tempter. It's really key that you understand that Satan is a tempter. He won't make you do things, but boy, he can convince you to choose to do them. All right? And the tempter came and said to Jesus, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. You think that's tempting? But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. All right. In this temptation, Satan takes advantage of the starvation of Jesus. That's obvious. And, and, and what he's trying to do is he's trying to pose a question. And in these three temptations, I'm going to show you that Satan is asking core questions that you struggle with every single day. These three questions I'm about to reveal to you are the same questions that every one of you struggle with every single day. Bet on it. And so what he's trying to do is the first thing that Satan is trying to tempt Jesus to question is, will God provide for me? Let me say it again. Will God provide for me? You may not think it outright, but you think it every day. Will God provide for me? Every single one of us is facing that question. And Jesus faces this temptation in a unique way because the reality is you guys can't turn any stones into bread. Can you? If you can, please let me know. I'd love to see that. But Jesus actually can turn stone into bread. And so he's tempting him. If you are the son of God, you could do this. He really does have the power to do it. And don't you think he wants to? Don't you think Jesus wants to eat? He's starving to death. So don't let your understanding of the divinity of Jesus cloud your view of the humanity of Jesus. He really is suffering right now. This is a real temptation. But more than a temptation to satisfy Jesus' flesh, listen, this is a temptation to doubt God's provision. This is a temptation to doubt God's provision and doubt God's timing in providing. You hear that? This is going to be so important when we, we take this plan and land it in your field, okay? Now, what Jesus does is amazing. Jesus' response indicates that he understands that this is about more than fleshly hunger. It's about spiritual hunger, okay? And so Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 8.3, and it's like a lightning strike in the face of Satan. And it's Jesus basically saying, hey, listen, you wonder if, if, if he, you know, will God provide for me? Jesus' answer is, he already has. And I trust him. And I trust the Lord, and I'm going to follow him. So that's what Jesus does. Let's keep going around the plane. Verses, four, or verses 5 and 7, 5 through 7. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the, it, look at that, he keeps saying if. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. 
So in this next temptation, J- uh, Satan changes his tactic. He saw that Jesus quoted scripture, so Satan's like, well, okay, I'll quote scripture. And what he does is he quotes some scripture to challenge another question. Here's the second question that we all deal with every day. Does God care about me? First one, does God, will God provide for me? Second question, does God care about me? And so he quotes Psalm 91. And Psalm 91, guys, is a psalm that is written for those who are oppressed. Okay? It's a psalm for people who are oppressed. And so he takes advantage of that and says, hey, you're oppressed. Don't you want to know that God cares for you? Don't you, do you guys know, most of you probably know the ministry that Jesus is about to walk into, right? A very painful ministry. He's going to be rejected. They're going to attack him. They're going to challenge him. They're going to come after him, right? Don't you think, all of you in this room, you've got a ministry that God has for you. Would it be really encouraging to have this memory in the back of your mind, okay, that when you fell off a cliff, he caught you and just laid you on the ground? Hey, see what I did? Would that give you more courage to just be bold out there? Anybody? Absolutely it does. To have the knowledge in your mind that my God is going to care for me. He will take care of me. And so he's tempting him to go, let's test the Lord. Let's see and listen. Like, hey, if you're the son of God, no big deal. He's going to care for you. But Jesus' trust trust in the Father does not fail him. Again, quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6, Jesus decides that the Father doesn't need to be tested. And another lightning strike silences the temptation of Satan. And faith defeats doubt. When he, when he asks the question, does God care about me? Jesus says, I already know he does. I don't need to test him on this. All right, let's keep going around this plane. Okay, now for the grand finale, Matthew 4, 8 through 11. Again, the devil took him to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, said to him, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. All right, so this last temptation, guys, like if you just ponder it for a second, it's incredible. It's incredible to think about. Because in it we see the power that Satan has in this world as the prince of the power here, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, and how his influence is spread on the back of temptation and sin to cover the entire world. And it's actually extremely heartbreaking when you consider this. Don't you think? That the ownership of the nations, that the nations are really not led by God, they're led by Satan. Think about this, you know, this is even more heartbreaking and embarrassing for us Because God also can see that, that the world is not being led by him. It's being led by their own personal desires, right? By the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life. We follow Satan. We've bit down in the temptation and the sin, and we wanted to make of ourselves our own kingdoms. And because of that, God can see that. But there's something incredible about this temptation that you need to see for Jesus, okay? Because what is Jesus' mission coming down to the earth? Somebody just shout it out. It's real simple. What's Jesus' mission? To save people, right? And as the son of David, what is he coming to do? He's coming to be king. He's coming to rule the nations. 
All the nations are, are prophesied to bow before Jesus. His mission is to come and rule and conquer the nations. And Satan is offering him a quick way there. Pay attention to this. It's going to matter for you later. Satan is offering him a quick way to get to what his mission is anyways. And what do we know about God's way of getting Jesus there? What has he got to go through to get that done? He's got to go through a lot of pain. And so what's the third question that every single one of us wrestle with? The third question is this. Can I trust God's plan for me? Another way to say that is, can I trust God's leadership? Can I trust God's way? And Jesus just shows, I can trust God's way. Jesus responds by quoting another passage from Deuteronomy. You see why we're going to take off this plane and fly over to Deuteronomy? Okay, leaving you some hints. Jesus responds by quoting Deuteronomy 6.13, reminding Satan that there is only one who should be bowed to and that he is the father of us all. That's who we run to. And so Jesus again reveals his trust in the Father, believing in God's plan for his life. And it's the final lightning strike and the great tempter who came with the three colossal temptations, right? Will God provide for me? Will God care for me? Does God have a plan for me? Okay? He silences them all by his faith in God. It's astounding. It's amazing. Right? So now that we've looked at that, that's basically the whole passage right there, guys. That's what it's trying to show you, that where we fail, Jesus is unfailing. He is faithful. So now let's get in this plane. Let's get inside of this passage, and let's go fly, because I want to show you a couple other places where you're going to need to see something really important, and it's going to help you with your whole biblical framework and understanding of the way the world works, okay? So how does this compare to Genesis and Deuteronomy? The connection between Genesis, Deuteronomy, and this passage is undeniable, okay? You know that's how you say that word, but that's how you say it, undeniable, okay? So let's go to Genesis, Genesis chapter 3. I want you to go there. If you've got a Bible, you've got a phone, if you're phone, you're going to win this sword drill. If it's your Bible, look, just flip fast, okay, to the very beginning, and you're there, all right? So Genesis chapter 3, we're going to read 1 through 7. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen. All right? And I'm sorry we don't have Bibles in front of you. That's why I invite you to bring one. Okay, here we go. Let me read this passage uh, together with you. Now, I want you, I'm praying your ears are open and your eyes are open to see the connection here. It's amazing. Now, the serpent, which is who, guys? It's Satan, was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, okay, do you feel that if you are the son of God, do you feel that? Did God actually say you shall not eat any tree of any tree in the garden? Okay, is that what God said? No. If you know your Bible, it says this right here. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it. God never said neither shall you touch it. She's making that up. Probably Adam told her that. You can imagine, right, husbands, right? Okay, listen, don't eat of it. You know what? Just don't even touch it, all right, Eve? Okay, I'm not trying to start any problems in here, but it's, we can feel it, right? It's like, yeah, look, just, just leave it alone, all right? Don't even touch it lest you die. 
But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. And you could almost imagine him popping one down into her hand, and she's not dead. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and knowing evil. So when the woman looked at this, when she saw that the tree was good for food, think stones and bread, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, knowledge, will God care for me? Having the knowledge that he will catch me to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her good-for-nothing husband who was with her. That's not in there. Sorry, I shouldn't add that. And he ate. And then their eyes were both opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So Adam and Eve, like Jesus, guys, faced temptation for food, knowledge, and self-glory just like Jesus did. Can you see it? Satan convinced them that God was a liar, and God's not somebody you should trust. He's trying to rip you off, guys. You better take this and get it and seize it because you're going to be like him. And look, he's just, he's just this selfish guy. He doesn't want anybody to be like him. And when they doubted, they chose. And listen, what happens is when you don't trust God, what do you do next? You try to seize control for yourself. Happens every single time. And then they bow to their own fleshly desires and they bow to the will of Satan. And their children's children have always done it for the rest of time. Now let's fast forward to Deuteronomy. You see that comparison there? Okay, so in Deuteronomy, this is an incredible book that many of you like to just skip when you're reading through your Bible plan, and I encourage you not to. It's a sermon and it's a declaration at the end of a 40-year wilderness where Moses is now giving them a message, reminding them, because he's not leading them in. Joshua's going to lead them in, all right, because Moses made a mistake. And he gives them this big message to remind them, don't mess this up like you did before. And so what's amazing is three times Jesus quotes Deuteronomy, and he's trying to make a point, friends. And remember, who is Matthew written to? Jewish Christians. So for the Jews, this, this stuff is just ringing. They know this. And you, for the most part in this room, are not Jewish. So most of you don't understand this. So let's go and read it together. We're going to read a big passage. The first quote from Deuteronomy 8 says that man shall not live by bread alone. So let's read Deuteronomy chapter 8. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. And you're going to see a fuller context of what Jesus is quoting here. This is so good. The whole commandment that I command you today you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Wow, right? It preaches itself. Satan has been doing the same thing from the beginning. And Jesus knew his tactics. And so he just goes and quotes the most relevant passage from the Torah that he could quote. My God is testing me. And I'm going to pass it, is what Jesus said. And I don't need your help. 
Wow. So the people of Israel, they doubted God's provision. And after seeing him deliver them from slavery and parting the Red Sea, they revealed their distrust by wanting to turn back. If you go and read more, you'll see that they want to go back to Egypt. It's like, let's go back to, you know, slavery. We had pots full of meat, right? That's what happens when you're hungry. You get weird and hangry and you get delusional. But 40 days in, Jesus stays faithful. Jesus quotes verse 3, proclaiming that he succeeds where Israel fails. Okay, he embraces his hunger and the humility, and he waits for God's provision, even if waiting means dying and receiving on the other end. All right, so the second quote comes from uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6. You don't have to go far this time, but come with me. All right, a little bit of Bible study this morning. It's fantastic. Deuteronomy 6, verse 16, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test uh, as you tested him at Massah. What in the world is Massah? What happened there? What did they do? Well, I'm sorry, I lied. You're going to have to go over to Exodus chapter 17. So flip to the second book of the Bible. So you're going to go left in your Bible. Exodus chapter 17, 1 through 7. This is so good. I'm going to read the whole thing to you. I know, surprising. We're in a church and we're reading our Bibles. Um, it says this, for starting in verse 1 of chapter 17. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, it's rough being a leader, you know. Okay. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, why do you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, what shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock of Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. Who provides? Ah, that's what I'm talking about. And he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, listen, is the Lord among us or not? So the second question that Jesus answers, which is, does God care about me? Israel failed to trust that God cared about them. You think I led you out of the wilderness and set you free from the most powerful nation in the world to lead you out here just to die of dehydration? Don't you know I care about you? He's testing them. Did Israel pass? No. Did Jesus? You bet he did. You bet he did. The people didn't trust that God would care for them. They doubted God was with them, so they quarreled and they fought. I <sighs> can't wait to land this plan on you. Now the third question is going to come, all right? Uh, and it's going to come out of Deuteronomy chapter 6, or the third answer, starting at verse 13. Well, I'm going to start at verse 10, but it's verse 13. Is the Lord your God that you shall fear? Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. This is what Jesus quotes in his third response. But listen, starting at verse 10. Deuteronomy chapter 6, and when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities, listen to this, with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord. 
who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Listen to this. It is the Lord your God you shall, serve, you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall fear or swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God is in the midst, uh, in your midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. Wow, what a threat. But listen, there's a key that you need to see there. Every Israelite knows that there's a book called Judges. Y'all ever read this book? It is miserable. It's a downward spiral of dysfunction. And what is the core reason that they have this downward spiral? Why? You know? They doubt God's plan for them. And they choose, and listen, you're going to see this over and over at the end of Judges. It has this phrase. It said, every man did what? Did what he thought was right in his own eyes. I will choose what is the plan, Lord. I don't need your plan. I'm going to go my way, not your way. And so Israel fails the test. And what is Jesus saying he's doing right here? What you failed, I pass. And Satan, you have nothing to say. And Satan is silenced. And right after Satan is silenced, what ends up happening? This angel of darkness who rebelled against God is cast away and silenced. And the angels who are loyal to God come and they minister to them. It's just this like, get out of here, the real boys are coming. And so Satan is silenced. It is astounding. Do you guys see what's happening? Good flight. We didn't stall out anywhere. I hope not. Okay, stick with me. Let's now take this thing back to the tarmac and let's land it with us. Why does this matter for all of us in this room? Boy, it matters. It's, it matters. Okay, so first, let's summarize where we've been, all right? Because, look, we've only been here, like, I don't know, 30 minutes, and I know how it is, guys. It's hot. Get distracted. I'm just playing with you, all right? I'm just kind of making some fun, keeping you light, because I'm about to make it really heavy. It's a trick I'm doing right now. I'm just letting you in on it, but it's still going to work, okay? So first, let's summarize. The passage that Jesus, uh, so what we saw in the passage was uh, three great questions that we all face. Number one. Will God provide for me? Number two, does God care about me? Number three, does God have a plan for me? In each of these temptations, we recognize that Jesus, we recognize Jesus' trust in God. The thing that won this battle was Jesus' faith in God. Not that he was strong, but that his faith in who God is was strong. He believed that God would provide in his timing. He believed that God cared about him, even if he led him into the desert to starve. He believed that God had a plan for him, even if that plan took him into the valley of the shadow of death. Jesus said, I trust this God, and I'm going to go his way. In each of these temptations, we recognize a comparison between Jesus and Adam, and then we recognize the comparison between Jesus and the people of Israel. Did you see that? Okay. And where their faith was tested and found wanting, Jesus was found triumphant and Satan was silenced. Why does this matter? Okay, this matters because you guys face the same temptations every single day. To doubt God cares about you. To doubt that God will provide for you. You doubt God's plan for you. And you keep coming up with other ways to do it. Let me ask you. Okay, let's go through this little hit list. Are any of you guys worried about the next election? 
Okay, I'm going to take that as a yes. Is, are any of you guys struggling with singleness? Are you tempted to control your relationships because of hurt? Are you anxious about your finances? Are you depressed? Are you addicted to pornography? Are you bitter towards others, especially those in the church? Are you isolating from people? Are you lying about something that's in your life and unwilling to tell others about it? Are you afraid of what others will think of you if you really lived for Jesus? Are you ashamed of what you've done? Are any of you guys battling with anger or feeling violent? Are you being controlled by your desires for things? Are any of you jealous? Do any of you desire a different spouse? Are you blame shifting? Are you lonely? I know every one of you is triggered by one of those. And if you go, ah, none of them. I could keep going. And it's a matter of time before it includes you. And if you answer yes to any of these, it's because you doubt the provision, care, and plan of God for you. It's that simple. Your lack of trust in God is your problem. And similarly, guys, I'm trying to help you out here. You're human beings. The answer, the solution is faith in God. It's that simple. Not faith in God once, faith in God forever. Trusting him in this moment, trusting him in the next moment, and trusting him in every moment from here on out, that he actually will provide for you. And now, maybe not in your timing, but he will provide. Trusting that God actually cares about you, whether you're 16 or 60, he cares about you. And listen, a lot of you guys are making decisions in your life because you don't trust God's plan and you're just not being honest. But the solution to it is trusting him in his way. And he tells us the way to go. He makes it pretty clear. It's a pretty big book. It's got a lot of great things in it. Do you trust God? Friends, the reason why our faith is not attractive because our faith is not faithful. And Jesus is inviting us to see that where you were faithless, he was unflinchingly faithful. And you can trust him. He silences Satan right here, but what does he do at the cross? He defeats Satan. And in Revelation, where we live between the cross and when Jesus comes again, what do we know that he's going to do in the end? He's going to destroy sin, death, and Satan forever. Jesus is going to be 3 and 0. So if you're looking for someone to trust, listen to me, guys. You're making a choice between yourself and Satan or the Lord. And that's it. The solution to your porn addiction is faith in Jesus. The solution to your anxiety really is trusting that God's got you. The solution to your fear about your finances really is trusting that God will provide. Your dad informed you improperly, but your heavenly father wants to tell you something bigger, that he's got more money than your dad does and more money than your company does, and he could care for you. 
Matthew 6 says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things that you need, food, shelter, and clothing, will be added to you. He says, look at the lilies of the field. Look at the birds of there. Do they worry? Why would you worry? I care about them, but I care about you so much more. I know the hairs that are on your head. Why would you worry? Just trust me and follow me, and I'll give you what you need. Now, I may lead you into the valley of darkness. I may let you starve, but I need you to trust me. This is my problem, friends. I am tired of hearing everyone say, and even my own soul, well, my circumstances are complicated. Uh, Jesus' circumstances were just a little bit more complicated than yours. And what defines his success is his trust in Jesus. Your circumstances do not dictate God's faithfulness. God's faithful, faithfulness dictates his faithfulness. Your circumstances where you get to play that out with him. Do you see? So we're in a room. You're surrounded by a bunch of human beings who are a bunch of sinners, just like the guy up here. And all of us in here have got anxiety and fear. I don't care how tough you think you are. I don't care how big your ranch is. And I don't care you know, how many cows you've roped, okay? Everyone in this room is struggling with a lack of trust in God. And so how we're going to end our service, we're not going to sing. How we're going to end our service is before we just boldly stand up and start singing, is we're going to just take some time to pray. And we're going to be honest. We don't have to just be honest about our sin. I want us to first be honest about our lack of faith in God. And that's it. All right? It's my gift to you. Right? So all the time you say, I just don't have time to pray. I'm giving you some time right now. You got some time. And we're going to take a little bit of time. We're going to pray and we're going to say, God, help my unbelief. Help me out. Because I'm afraid. I'm coping. I'm anxious. I'm fearful. I'm worried about my grandkids. I'm worried about whether I'll ever get married. I'm worried about all these things. And my worry is me trying to control my situation, and I just need to give it to you. Do you guys hear that? Are you with me? Okay, it's challenged by choice, okay, but you're grown-ups. So I think you can handle it. And so let's do this together. I'm going to take some time because I've got things in my life where I'm not trusting the Lord. And I'm trying to control, and I'm trying to make it happen, and I'm carrying anxiety and fear and all this. And I just really, my problem is I just really don't trust the Lord. Does that, does that help you? It's me too. So let's take some time. And we'll come back.
Father, forgive me. I have been so anxious. And I know why I'm being anxious is I am trying to do this on my own, and I'm doing this for me. And, um, Lord, I do. I just ask for your forgiveness. I'm not trusting you. I'm letting Satan have too much say. I'm just allowing myself to be prey to the temptations that he brings my way. Um, and I know what your word says. And I could tell Jesus this is what you were doing. Psalm 119.9. How will a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. And I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Forgive me, Lord, for not listening to your word and listening to this foolish, evil generation and spirit and world. And forgive me, God, for just being selfish. Acting like I'm serving you when really I'm just trying to accomplish my own desires. Forgive me. God, help me uh, and help my friends to be dependent on our community teams. That will let our, our, our friends in where we're being tempted, not just where we sin. Be honest about where, where we could get pulled off sides. And I pray, God, that you would spur up in us a faith that's not a faith for a moment, but a faith that is a walking by faith, not by sight. I pray your people in Alpo's Community Church and the churches across this city, I pray that our faith would be made strong and that we would walk by faith. We would be bold and confident and courageous, not fearing what people think because we know what you think, not fearing whether or not we'll have what we need because we know you'll provide, not fearing whether or not we will be cared for because we know you care, and trusting that your plan is always better than these plans we come up with. God, help us do that. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, guys, before we leave, I want to I wanna tell you a couple things, all right? There's some visitors in this room, and there's people who are Christians. And so for my f- Christians in the room, this is going to serve as a way of a reminder. For my friends who are visiting, and you have not believed in Jesus, and that's okay. We're so glad you're here. This is the best decision you're going to make all day. Um, I want to tell you something, okay? There's two great, glorious, good uh, truths in this passage that I have not shown you yet, and these are the most important things. Number one is this, that Jesus does not fail. That is important for you to know because it means that he is just like you, but he's also not like you at all, okay? And so where you fail, he doesn't. And so what does that mean? It does something for us biblically that I think you need to know about that is incredibly powerful. It helps us understand that if Jesus uh, was faithful, okay, it means that uh, he can be a perfect sacrifice, now, that may seem, seem weird to you if you don't understand the Bible, but sacrifices were atoned for sin. But the reality is that when they atoned for sin in the Old Testament, it was with the blood of sheep and goats and cows. Are you a sheep or goat or a cow? Last I checked, all of you were not, okay? Somebody may have called you a cow, but you're not a cow, all right? And they were wrong for doing that, okay? And so here's what I want to tell you. Jesus comes as a human being because you're a human being. And he could, in, a, in Hebrews chapter 4 and in Philippians chapter 2, he comes to be just like you, except for perfect. And that makes him a perfect sacrifice. And if he's a perfect sacrifice, it also means, guys, it also means that he could be a propitiation for you. And what does that mean by propitiation? That's a, it's a biblical word. It's a theological word that really just means that he can satisfy the wrath of God that has been stored up for you. Now, what does that mean? It sounds weird. God's got wrath? Yes. It's called justice. And it's deserved. So I want you to imagine it's kind of like this. This is the picture that the Bible puts forward for you. Listen, every day that you live, every sin that you commit, and listen, you are a living, walking sin machine. All of that sin is storing up. And the Bible kind of 
paints a picture of a bowl. And it's storing up in this bowl this, uh, this wrath. And you imagine this wrath as liquid. And it says that one day he's going to pour that out on you. And it's unbearable. And it's, it has eternal consequence. But what Jesus does by being a perfect sacrifice on the cross, he does a lot more than just die for you guys. Listen, that wrath that you deserve, God takes that bowl that's been stored up for you and he pours it on Jesus. That's propitiation. And what happens is every single bit of the sin in your life, and I'm talking from the very first day to your final breath, every bit of the liquid wrath that's been, that's been stored up figuratively for you, he poured out all on Jesus. And so because he was perfect, and so because he took that for you, you have an opportunity. And that opportunity is this, that just as Jesus had faith in God and it led to his conquering of Satan, if you have faith in God and you believe in him and that God raised him from the dead, it says you will be saved. So you know that shame you feel? Gone. Right? You know the pain of your past that makes you wince when you think about it? Gone. And you no longer have to live as a servant of Satan. You become a son of the living God who is trustworthy and worthy of all of your devotion, friends. And surrounding you right now is a pile of people who said, God's way is better. And I want to follow him. Not for a moment in a Sunday service, but for the rest of my life. Because he's right, he is good. He'll provide, he will care, and he'll lead me into the good way. And that's what I want to do. So friends, if you do not know Jesus, and you want to take a step into following him, you want to become a son of God, it is simply by faith and faith alone. And all you have to do is say, God, I believe in you. I believe that you were raised from the dead. I believe you were perfect. And I believe that you will lead me. And I want to give you my whole life. Forgive me of my sin, and I want to follow you. And it's that simple. Now, let me tell you something, friends. If you make that decision, if any of you in this room right now are making that decision, you're saying, I want to do that. Here's what I want to tell you. Following Jesus is a real thing, not a, it's, and it's a personal thing, but it ain't a private thing. So I want to encourage you to come up and have a conversation with me. Because the first thing you need to do if you believe is you need to do what Jesus says to do first. You know what that is? It's to be baptized. And so if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and today is the first day you believe that, it's time for you to be baptized and let's do that today. All right? We're not going to do it in there because I think that thing leaks. But, but we'll find, we'll, look, I'll find you a body of water and we'll begin your first day of following Jesus with the first obedience that you should walk into, which is the waters of baptism. And listen, you're surrounded by people who've done it. So let's do it today. Don't wait. I'm not making you come down right now. Next week I might. But I'm telling you, be bold and courageous. Jesus was bold and courageous for you. Come and have a conversation. Let's get you baptized. And let's walk together following Jesus for the rest of our days until you die or I die and we get to be with him forever. Amen? Amen. God, I pray that you would bless these people and that you, would, you have the power to keep them from stumbling and to present them blameless before the presence of your great power with great joy. And may all this be to you, God and Father, through Jesus Christ, all power, glory, authority, authority and dominion from all time and now and forever. Amen. Hey, guys, have a great week of worship. We'll see you next week. And if you need to have a conversation with me, come on, let's talk.